Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now is a man who was drafted 12th overall in the 1973 NFL Draft by the Minnesota Vikings. He was considered one of the best pass-catching backs in NFL history. He started in three Super Bowls with the Vikings and was a premier back for the team for most of the 70s. Upon entering the league in 1973, he was named the NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year, selected to the Pro Bowl for the first five seasons of his career. He held the Minnesota Vikings record for rushing yards from scrimmage upon his retirement. As part of the team's 50th anniversary celebration, he was named as one of the 50 greatest Vikings in 2010. It is an absolute thrill to welcome one of my favorite players from back in the day, the spin doctor himself, number 44, the one and only Chuck Foreman to Sports Talk New York. How you doing, Chuck? Hey, I'm good. It's a little human hot up here, but I'm good. <laughs> so, you know, let's go back a little bit. Roy, right. Roy Comer and Homer Brooks were two of your coaches at Frederick High School where you starred in basketball. Wow football and track and field. Right. What did you learn from those two men? Well, Homer Brooks obviously was my basketball coach, and both of those guys were very bright. They worked us hard, but they let us all know about what hard work was, um, having, uh, you know, gaining all the knowledge of the game you could have. They pressed us to be the best that we could be. Roy Comer, you know, he did this, he was the same, and and then, you know, Adam Craven came in after Roy Comer, and he was the same type of coach. But all my coaches, and I had my uh, track coach was a gentleman by the name of Jack Griffin. He was the, uh, he was the assistant coach to the Port of Women's Olympic team, but he also ended up being the head track coach for the U.S. Olympic team. And I think in 60, I think 68 and 72 or anyway, he was, he was another one of those coaches that was very influential as far as I'm concerned for my uh, development. So growing up, you're a fan of the Washington Redskins, Baltimore Colts of the NFL, as well as the Baltimore Bullets of the NBA. And it's interesting to note that one of the Bullets had a huge effect on your football career as you adapted right. his style of play into the way you would spin and move. So who was that player? And people here in New York are going to be very familiar with him. And what about his game appealed to you? Earl de Pearl Monroe, he was the guy that came up out of uh, down that was the North Carolina Central. What was it? North Carolina uh, Central. One of the, well, one. Of, I, I hope I got the right school. You know, down there in that conference down there. But he was one of the greatest basketball players I've ever seen in my life. Uh, we, of course, growing up in a place called Frederick, Maryland. He comes in and you know, and us playing basketball and watching him and doing what he did, but. He would always come up that court, man. He had this spin move that he would put on guys and just leave them. But so we tried to emulate that when I was a kid. But um, and on the basketball court. But when I was in high school, I was a tight end, defensive tackle. I didn't start to play running back, wide receiver, and cornerback until I got to Miami. So I played all three positions. So I never really was able to settle in on one. But um, that is where I got that spin move from watching Earl to Pearl Monroe. I did it in college a couple of times, but when I got to the professional ranks, you know, um, I remember the first time I did it, it was against the Houston Oilers, and I was trying to, my peripheral vision was telling me to get way over here to the right. There was an opening over there, 
And I didn't know what else to do. I said, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to spin behind this guy. And I, and I was like, wow, I was shocked, too. I said, wow, that works. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I kind of implemented that in my game when needed. <laughs> and and maybe incorporate a little of Dancing Harry as well from back there, too. <laughs> I don't know about that, but, <laughs> you know, you know, one thing about playing in the, playing up there with the big boys, I learned quick. Yeah. You know, you, you can't dance in the hole. You better hit it and split <laughs> real quick. It's also, interesting, you know? it's also interesting to note that you received more scholarships offers for basketball than football. Mm-hmm. You accepted the, the football scholarship from the University of Miami in 1970. Right. What went into the choice of Miami, and which of the other offers was the toughest to turn down? Well, I was going to go to, you know, there was Maryland, there was West Virginia, there's a few other ones I was going to go to, Syracuse. But um, when I went to Miami, of course, you know, back in those days, the integration was just really coming along. And Miami had one black, one black football player. That was a guy by the name of Ray Bellamy. Um, and my senior year in high school, we were playing against a team called Bel Air High School in, in Maryland, all around Baltimore area. And they were, Miami was recruiting this guy, and I think he was an offensive tackle, and we played against him. And, of course, you know, we kind of we beat him up pretty good. And next thing you know, um, um, I was getting letters from Miami. And so, you know, I, and I saw it. I went on, remember Street and Smith Magazine? Yeah. And I looked that up in my when I was in high school, and I'm like, okay, Miami, Miami. So they had this picture of this guy named Ray Bellamy. It was in there, a color picture. And he was the first black athlete at the University of Miami. And he would play wide receiver. And, of course, I liked, the uniforms are pretty much like the Frederick High School cadets, only it was green. So that had, you know, so I took my trip. And, you know, I, I just liked everything about, about the school, you know, and then the recruiting visit was really nice too. So I got down there and of course it was not my parents' first place for me to go, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, to going down south and being one of the first blacks at the University of Miami. But we happened to have at the University of Miami, our president was a guy by the name of Henry King Stanford. And the head coach at the time down there was a guy by the name of Charlie Tate, good old, good old you know, southern gentleman and anything. But anyway, um, I'm willing to bet that there aren't many athletes that's ever come through the NCAA that's had a relationship with the president of the school like me, Ray, and a few of us had with our president. Because if there was an issue that we wanted, that we had to deal with, Hey, we we could have went to the coaches for sure. We didn't have to go to the coaches. We went to the head man, you know. And he was like, um, he was the guy that was. Uh, let's see, how can I work? Uh, Indiana Jones. He's a kind of an Indiana Jones type guy. He was all over the world doing different things when school was out, and just a great guy, a great uh, mentor, and certainly made it much easier for us to make that adjustment at the time. So, you know, when the integration was coming along at the U. It's also interesting because you're there at a time with turmoil in the program. Two games right. in, in your sophomore year, Charlie Tate resigns. That right. coupled with the injuries to the defensive backfield necessitated you changing your position to cornerback, which mm-hmm. limited your role on offense. How frustrating was that when, when you get there, you're all excited to play, mm-hmm. and then your coach resigns after two games, <laughs> and, and yeah. now you're playing defense? 
Well, certainly that was a shock when Coach Tate resigned, but this guy named Walter Krzyzewski came in and took his place. But you got to understand one thing about when I and people of my time, and especially, see, I looked at myself as a football player. Uh, to me, it didn't matter what position they played. They put me at. I knew I had the talent to be, you know, as good as anybody at any one of those positions, regardless of where they put me. And so when they um, came to me and said, okay, we're going to, you know, my freshman, because, you know, we didn't play varsity ball as freshmen. Back then you had a freshman schedule. So they came to me. I was a running back. And then, they, you know, I played both ways pretty much my entire time down there. But I always looked at it when they, when they decided to move me to a different position, I didn't complain about it, not at all. Because, you know, I just took with my father, my coaches in high school, and everybody said, okay, you know, you know, you got to understand your talent. And there's nothing that you can't do if you commit to it. And so whenever they moved me to a different position, I just went on and said, okay, I'm going to be the best at that position. And that's exactly what I did. And so, but they would move me from wide receiver to running back to cornerback. And, you know, I'm, I'm willing to bet you that um, there's not many guys that have been drafted in the NFL's history that when they got drafted, especially in the as the 12th player picked in the draft, when you got up to the team that drafted you, they asked you, okay, what position do you want to play? <laughs> well, well that's, that, that begs the, the question is that, you know, when uh, Frank, Frank Kersey comes in and takes over the second, uh, your third season, your mm -hmm. second year playing, switch you back to running back. That season you combined with uh, mm -hmm. teammate Tom Sullivan to form the running back tandem nicknamed the Gold Dust right. Twins. Obviously, you looked at your stats. The best statistical season uh, for you in college. Mm -hmm. You rushed 191 times for 951 yards. You also caught seven passes, 72 yards. Named first-team mm -hmm. All-American by the Sporting News. Despite all that, the following season, he moved you to wide receiver. <laughs> so, so, first of all, you know, how much did that particular season instill the belief in you that you could succeed at the NFL level, putting up those type of numbers? And then how frustrating it was off of that great year to find yourself playing a different <laughs> position the following year? Well, the only thing I can tell you is, like, I like Frank Kirstie and all that, but, you know, when he came to me, because they had just got this kid out of Ohio by the name of Donnie Martin, I think his name was, and he said, well, we, we got this guy, Donnie Martin, and, you know, well, we're going to move you to wide receiver. You're not going to play uh, running back in the NFL anyway. I'm saying, I'm laughing at him under my breath like, you can't, you got to be joking. That's what I was thinking. But I never looked at it as something that was always that, okay, I'll just go. So I went on out there. It turned out, and I was the best receiver we had anyway. And Ed Carney, he was from up and around New York anyway. He was the quarterback. And we had uh, we had a good uh, relationship uh, on on the field, and you know we you know we did pretty good. Then, of course, when I when it, when it was over, uh, when I was being selected to play in all these All Star games, um, you know, they you know I played running back and was the MVP in every All Star game I played in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, it was a great it was a great trip and. You know, a lot of guys probably would would be would balk at or be upset about the switching around. I never looked at it as a negative. I always looked at it as a positive. But the one thing about it, though, and I don't want to keep talking on, on your show, but I'm just saying, what when I played at running fullback in the NFL, that's my position. I was not a running back. 
when I played fullback in the NFL, you got to remember in those days, see, they looked at only your rushing yards when they compared you uh, to all the great runners. Or, you know, so, like, forget the fact that I was pretty much a guy that changed the position as far as the fullback runner receiver. They didn't even count those yards and those touchdowns. So it kind of like uh, uh, when they look at guys, they look at their yardage not the impact that they had on their offense. So it's kind of hurt me in, in, in that way, but, you know, it is what it is. I know how good I was when I played the game. I certainly do, too, from watching you play all those years as well. One of the only knocks on your college game was mm-hmm. um, you had an issue with fumbling, and that mm-hmm. seemed to be cured in the 1973 Senior Bowl. Again, another little New York mm-hmm. connection here. An NFL coach gave you some advice on the proper technique. Can you tell us who that was and how yeah. that impacted? <laughs> and just the fact that he took the time to talk to you at that point, how much did that right. mean to you? Well, it meant a lot to me. Weave Eubank is the coach you're talking about. But, you know, it wasn't about me fumbling the ball. But, you know, when I got the ball and I, the moves that I had, sometimes I kicked the ball out of my hand, my <laughs> feet, and everything was going all out the way. And he got me to the senior bowl. And he says, Chuck, come over here. I said, okay. So he says, here, you know, here's what you're going to do. And this is what I want you to do. This is how you're going to practice from here on out. Okay, he showed me how he wanted me to hold the ball. And he put me, you know, and he says, now you can move your feet and do anything you want because that ball's not going anywhere. And so um, he was the guy, you know, I mean, not saying that the coaches at Miami didn't, but they moved me around so much. I was just doing whatever I wanted to do as long as I got rid of the guy, you know. But when you're knocking the ball out of your hands, you're dropping the ball like that, holding the ball with one hand and not bringing it back in, just simple little things. But he showed me how to do that by holding the point, the point of the ball certain ways and my hands being as big as they were. You know, I, I never lost the ball. You know, once I got to the next level, you know, it was a whole different thing. But, yeah, we Eubank, New York Jets, you know, he came in and he was a good gentleman and well, I owe a lot to him. So we spoke about how you were bouncing around to positions in college, but how much do you think that prepared you for your professional career when you were featured in your rookie season as the premier back that was not only running as the premier back, but catching passes, Mm -hmm. 37 passes for 362 yards. That's almost 10 yards a uh, catch. That's super impressive, over 1,000 yards combined. How much do you think you were ready for that? Because of the college experience. Uh, You know, I had like my college coaches, you know, my wide receivers coach was about a guy by the name of Larry Beckett. My running back coach was a guy by the name of Whitey Campbell. And my cornerback coach was a guy by the name of Jimmy Dye. All of them were all Americans and stuff at the University of Miami. But, you know, for the short term that they had me at each position, they gave me the, all the little techniques I needed to be successful at that position. But what it did also was, you know, when I got to the Minnesota Vikings and they brought me in, and when uh, Jim Finks and uh, um, Bud Grant brought me in the office and said, listen, we're going to come in, we're going to have this offense. Now we're going to move you to fullback. This is going to be your position. Now don't get upset about it, but, you know, you're going to be the best. But you're not going to be recognized as the best because the way we're going to use you, nobody's using you, runner as receiver. And so, you know, I'm not going to get credit for being the good receiver, but you're gonna, they're just going to know you as a runner. And so that's. That has held up to be true because uh, my receiving yards and my, the fact that I was an all-purpose back has pretty much hurt me. Um, how can I put it? 
you know, as far as Hall of Fame stuff goes, you know what I mean? Um, they, they don't, uh, first of all, I'm a fullback, number one, then they don't consider all the stuff. And, uh, well, anyway, making a long story short, nowadays the all purpose back is, you know, getting a lot of attention, and I'm happy to see that. So the Minnesota Vikings draft you. Uh, we have a chat room that goes along with the show, and Michael Grainer wanted to know, um, did you have any NFL team that wanted that you wanted to be drafted? Uh, maybe the the, the uh, Redskins or the Colts. <laughs> and the you know, and, and I was actually going to ask the question too. You know, you're going from Miami to Minnesota. That's got to be a little bit of a culture shock as well. <laughs> yeah, it certainly was. Well, be quite honest with you, I really didn't know until my senior year that you know that I was ranked that high as far as what the scouts were thinking of me and um to be quite honest with you so when I got to be a senior and then you know my performance my junior year and then coming into my senior year I really didn't know you know and I didn't have any preference about what team to go to I was just like oh, excited just to be considered one of the top players and then when I got when I turned out to be the 12th player pick with the Minnesota Vikings yeah the first thing I thought about was uh when I used to watch the TV and the commercials on there and they used to have those flame flame throwers to thaw out the film all that all that comes that's how they used to throw out the film in Minnesota they had those flame throwers and I'm like oh man there ain't no way I can play up there in that 30 below zero but as it turns out, it was, uh, you know, it was, I don't have any regrets whatsoever. So you, you mentioned Bud Grant and the way he called you in the office and spoke to you. To this mm-hmm. day, one of my favorite Bud Grant stories is one that Fran Tarkenton told us on this show. And it was during, mm-hmm. spring, uh, during training camp at Minnesota State University. Bud called Fran up to his office on like the second day of camp. His mm-hmm. office had this window that overlooked a yard that was on the way to the field. In that yard was a sign that said, keep off, just seated. Bud watched as players walked on the area where it said to stay off. He asked Fran mm-hmm. for the names. As Fran gave him the names, he kept on crossing them off a list. Fran turned to him and said, you know, coach, what are you doing? And Bud Grant said, making first cuts. Fran said, wait. <laughs> he goes, we haven't even put on pads. We haven't even done anything. Mm-hmm. Bud turned to him and said, those guys can't see the sign right in front of them. How can I expect them to see the signs on a field when the game is on the line? Exactly. What, what's he, your favorite Bud Grant story? Well, I don't know if I got any favorite Bud Grant stories, but I can tell you that story there would hit it right on the money. Because the one thing Bud Grant didn't tolerate, number one, you had to come, you better come in shape. Number two, you better not make mistakes. You make mistakes regardless of what kind of talent you were, you know, you were out. If you couldn't follow directions, you were out. You know, those type of things because he's, you know, like you say, you see the sign up there and says, okay, don't do that. And it's right in front of him. You're going to do it anyway. And let me tell you, that guy watched everything. You didn't think he was seeing it. He was like, he, was, he saw it all. You know, and he, that's what I think, the discipline we had on our team and the guys that came to play may not have been the most talented, and we may not have had the most talented roster in the NFL, but certainly the most disciplined roster roster on the NFL. And he held everybody was held accountable, much like New England is now. Oh, you didn't have to say that here in New York. Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, what can I say? It is what it is. Because New England wasn't it wasn't that it wasn't the type of 
team as they are now back when I played for them for that one year. No, that's, that's you know, they, had, they had a lot of talent, no doubt. Yeah. Listen, here in New York, we like the Vikings. Here in New York, we don't like the Patriots. But they're going to be be good again. They get themselves a good quarterback. So, you know, your rookie season, you you take a team that was 7-7. You go 12-2, NFC Central Division Championship. Um, You get your first taste of the NFL playoffs as a rookie. Uh, Playoffs, the Vikings defeat the Washington Redskins in the divisional round, the Cowboys in the AFC Championship game en route to a Super Bowl. So here you are, not playing any bowl games in college, but your rookie right. season, you're in a Super Bowl, one that the Vikings would lose 24-7 to against the Dolphins. What was your first memory uh, of the whole Super Bowl experience? Wow. You know, back then, you know, the Super Bowl certainly was a big game, but it wasn't as big as it is now. It's like the most watched game there is, you know, now in sports. And but it was it was fun. But you know, to play against the, you know, I went to school in Miami, watched the Miami Dolphins, and I knew some of those guys on the team. And to get to the Super Bowl in my rookie year against the Miami Dolphins, and you know, just pretty much just following and following the veterans that that were my you know the guys that were playing in front of me and doing the things that they were doing. Um, that's what I did. I didn't do anything special. And of course, my talent level. You know, and the way they were using me was different because no other uh, team in the NFL was using using their backs like that. And being the fullback, you know, going, you know, getting the short yardage and then having the ability or having the opportunity to to make the big plays, also um, both runner as receiver. It 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 was a different type of offense, which took us to that level. I'm not, I'm not saying I did no more. I'm saying that the offensive game plans were such that most teams, you know, most of them were run-dominated offenses that they were seeing, especially coming, you know, backs coming out of the backfield. You didn't see much of that then. And so, you know, for us to get there and for me to get there as a rookie and then to get to play against some of the people that I know on the Miami Dolphins. and But you can, I can only say one thing, that was the best team we ever played against. Mm, for sure. So of the three Super Bowl losses, is there one that is more disappointing than any of the others? And let's even take it a step further. Mm. Where does the Hail Mary playoff loss fit into that mix as well? Well, the Hail Mary playoff loss was the best team that we had in 1975. That was the best team. It's unfortunate that we lost in that way. Uh, you know, Drew Pearson pushing off, Nate on Nate Wright. Uh, that was our best team. Believe me when I tell you, that was our best, best football team. And um, it was unfortunate that we lost like that. But of all the games that we played in the, in, in the Super Bowl, uh, the only team that I thought that was better than us was the Miami Dolphins. Now, you know, when we played Pittsburgh, we were in the game. And for whatever reason, you know, of course, you know, they, shut, they were trying to shut them off, pretty much shut down me and, uh, on both of those games, Oakland, I thought we could beat them. I thought we could beat Pittsburgh, but it just, I thought, you know, and we didn't. And it was, uh, after that Oakland game, you know, I, I gotta be honest with you, my heart was broken. Cause like, I'm like, how can this be? We can't lose three Super Bowls. Mm-hmm. You know, this is can't, this just can't be, but it, it was, it happened, you know, and I was like, wow, this is, it just blew me away. I, it took me a hard time to recover from, the, from that last Super Bowl. So you know what? You, know, you mentioned the Hall of Fame. And for me, right. you know, if you just looked at 1975, 
that mm-hmm. should be a ticket to the Hall of Fame. It may be <laughs> one of the most unrecognized, you know, great seasons in right. NFL history. Right. Led the NFL mm-hmm. with 73 reception, which was an NFL right. record for the position at that time. Right. Final game of the regular season on the road against the Buffalo Bills. You're in contention to complete an NFC Triple Crown by leading the right. conference in touchdowns, reception, and rushing yards for a season. Right. Carry that a step further, you and OJ, who was also in that game, right. are also competing to break Gal Sayers' NFL record mm-hmm. for combined rushing and receiving touchdowns in a season. Right. After you score your third touchdown of the game, you're struck in the eye by a snowball thrown by a Bills fan, suffered right. blurred vision as a result. Yet you still mm-hmm. managed to score a fourth touchdown in the game to tie the record at 22. Head right. coach Bud Grant pulls you from the game for the fourth quarter as a precaution. Right. O.J. breaks the record on a 64-yard touchdown reception to bring the total to 23. Later that day, Jim Otis of the Cardinals surpassed your season <laughs> rushing total by only six yards. Yep. That left you in second place with 1,070 yards, still becoming the first 1,000-yard rusher in Vikings history. So a right. couple of questions here. Do you remember that game all these years later, and would you have liked the chance to have played in that fourth quarter? And had you played in that fourth quarter, do you think you would have completed that triple crown? Well, I'll tell you what, I could have played in that fourth quarter. There's no question about that. Bud wouldn't let me get back in the game for whatever reason, you know. And, you know, and then, um, you know, I really wasn't thinking about it. Was I aware of uh, that I was that close to winning the Triple Crown? Not until, like, days later. Hey, he just lost a, r- a rushing title to Jim Otis. And I'm like, oh, okay, but you could have won the Triple Crown. So I lost the cri- Triple Crown by six measly yards. And you're right. I'd never, it, it's never mentioned. It's never brought up. It's not, it's like, it's non-existent in my, it's non-existent. You know, and that, I don't know. I don't know who, uh, I don't, I, I just, it baffles me. But, you know, I'm at the point now. Whereas, like, I, look, I had a really great career. I had some great experiences with some great people. And I guess that's what I'm had to live with. But I can't, I'm not going to lose sleep over not being in the Hall of Fame because I know that I got the credentials to be there. That's, I mean, nobody can tell me that I don't. No so, question about it. There's absolutely yeah. no question about it. And, and that's <clears> one of the questions that, you know, you look at. Over a three-year span, you compiled 51 mm-hmm. touchdowns, uh, played three Super Bowls. Mm-hmm. Um, in Game 7 of the 76th season, you became the only Viking to rush for 200 yards in a game until Adrian right. Peterson did it in 2007. And then injuries <laughs> take their toll uh, throughout the 78-79 right. season, traded to New England. Um, mm-hmm. You take a look at it, and when, and when people think of the Minnesota Vikings – um, of the 70s, immediately they right. think of the Purple People Eaters, then they think of the scrambling of Fran Tarkenton, mm-hmm. and then you as well. Um, right. However, you and Jim Marshall are not in the Hall of Fame. And, no. and, and it's bizarre <laughs> to me, because you, know, you take a look at, at teams that go to a Super Bowl three times. You, you even look at, right. the, look at the Miami Dolphins of that era, and look right. at how many of those guys are in the Hall well, of look Fame. At, look at if he dominated his era, and they, for four <laughs> years in a row, he was first or second All-Pro. He was it. Well, it, first or second right. All-Pro, four years in a row. Right. So, I, I mean, I, I hear you <laughs> say you don't lose sleep over it, <laughs> but, you know, people that watched, and, and this is the problem mm. with the Hall of Fame, and, and same thing, with, with, with baseball Hall of Fame is years later a guy gets in even though he was on the ballot for all these years his stats didn't change over the years that he didn't get in I, I mean you were the pre, you know the preeminent back of the mm-hmm. day and, and you did change the game 
Um, you're better man than I if you say <laughs> you don't lose sleep. Well, over it. Here's, here's what I will say to you. Okay, and I have never said this before, but I'm going to say it on your show. Um, your team has to push you for you to get that recognition. Hmm. And that's all I'm going to say. Crazy. Crazy. Because you were yeah, such yeah. a so big like, part of that team. <laughs> you know, if your team doesn't push you or think you're, you're worthy of it, you know, then how do you – well, I think most people outside of that recognize the fact that I should at least have consideration to be in there. Mm, yeah. You yeah. know, but, you know, you can't uh, – you know, um, I, I, it baffles me, but, you know, I've kind of got to the point now where is it um, certainly would be beautiful if it did happen. But, man, let me tell you, I'm in the fourth quarter of life, and I'm hoping I'm wanting to live it all. You know, I got great room. family. So yeah. I, that's what I'm concentrating on. If anything good comes out of that, you know, um, that would be a bonus. Now, everyone in the chat room, there's a couple of that says, you know, Chuck Foreman for Football Hall of Fame. Uh, one of the other questions, and someone actually mm-hmm. during the week knew that you were going to be on, also asked me the very same question. They wanted to know what it was like, you know, when Fran Tarkenton would leave that pocket and scramble and you had a block. Well, <laughs> I had to do what I had to do as a fullback. <laughs> you know, I mean, I had to do it. I mean, I think playing fullback for me, from, from, our, from our offensive perspective, Gave me the gave me the opportunity to do a lot of different things, you know. Because a lot, first of all, a lot of people who's going to expect a fullback, you know, I'm going to go up and jump over and get one yard if we need short short yards, short yardage, and when we need a big play, they're going to give me the ball to make the big play or catch the ball coming out of the backfield with Fran, you know, uh, making those calls whenever he did. The only there's only one call that he made that I was like. What are you thinking about, Francis? And that's when we were, you know which play I'm talking about? Which one? Think about it for a minute. Super Bowl. Oh. <laughs> go ahead. Okay. Oh, yeah. He called 22 lead to go in. We could have went in for a touchdown. He gave me, had me blocking and gave the ball to Brent. And Brent fumbled the ball. And that's when yeah. Willie, you know, went for that long TD run. Ooh. But to me, my thing was like, I was like, hey, man, you know, I can jump over that, you know. Right. <laughs> you know, so, but, uh, you know, so I never second-guessed Fran. He was, and you got to remember one, too, one more, one more thing, too. You know, back in, in those days, see, they didn't have anybody up, up, in, the, up, up in the booth to call down, play to your helmet. Hey, call this play, call this play. No. Right. They had to, you had to know, we had to know, the quarterback had to know every play that he might audible to, you know, right, you know, you had to have total recall right then. It wasn't like, you know, when you're nowadays, they, hey, they, they call these guys and they say, hey, change this play to this, you know, in the helmet now. <laughs> right. Back in those days, you had to, you had to memorize every play, every down and distance, what plays you had available for those different types of situations, and it had to be a, a recall. So there's a lot of things that um, we had during the time that I played. Um, I'm glad these guys got all this technology now, but what I'm saying to you, you had to really study and be aware 
of every situation that you were in, offensively anyway. Because when he called, when he made that call, and he said blue 22 or blue whatever, whatever, and changes up the plays, you know, you better be able to recall it. Yeah. You better be, and it could have been a hundred out of a hundred plays. You know, you better be able to get. You know, that had to be something that you was. It automatically came to you. And so it's a totally different way of uh, communications now. And the guys are, you know, you had to really do your homework. Not saying that they don't, but I'm saying it certainly is a lot easier when you got somebody up in the booth calling you, calling you up into the helmet. Hey, let's call this play. And that's why Bud was such a stickler for for knowing everything as well. All right, two exactly. quick questions. Two quick questions mm-hmm. before we let you go. Your son Jay mm-hmm. played 84 games in the NFL, including one playoff game as a Giant. Which was right. more nerve wracking for you, playing a game or watching your son play? Well, I don't know, man. It's like <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think when you got people chasing you, you, you know, when you got 11 people chasing you, you know. <laughs> That takes you to a whole different level. But watching him, you know, I was excited about that for sure, watching Jay play and, you know, with Buffalo at first and then with Houston and then with New York. But, you know, it was exciting to see see him play. And, you know, I was always uh, on edge when I watched him play. But I can tell you another thing, too. I was definitely on edge, too, when I looked across that line of scrimmage and saw those 11 guys looking at me knowing that I'm coming. They just didn't know where I was coming to. <laughs> so, you know, that was kind of a, you know, okay, the same type, same type of excitement. All right, so not, you're not only on social media, but you're also part of a Sea of Star lineup. Can you tell right. our audience how NFL fans, or in particular Minnesota Viking mm-hmm. fans, can set up a video chat with you? Okay, what, what they do, this is a new thing, by the way, this virtual thing, and I'm not really savvy at it yet because I've had a couple people on and then somehow we missed, I messed up or something. But anyway, what, what you do is you go to see a star. They've got all the players on there you'd like to chat with about football. You know, and the good thing about it is that it could be a birthday party. It could be about the upcoming game the Vikings are playing or any other game uh, that's coming on on that Sunday or any type of situation where, you know, where you might want, you know, one of us to maybe that you, could, you could appear in person, but obviously now you can't. But you can go on to see a star and get us in there. And we can talk about anything you want to talk to, you know, within reason, you know. So it's a, and I've had it like like ten sessions so far, and they've been really, really good. So I'm hoping that people will use that uh, platform because a lot of the money goes to portion of that money goes to the Foreman Foundation, and we do a lot of things with diabetes, and I'm diabetic, and my son runs that thing out of Lincoln, Nebraska. And we, you know, make sure you get your test, 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 uh, equip, things you need for your testing and all that type of thing. And so, yeah, it's a lot of different things that we do, but, um, you know, I'm excited about the possibilities of making, raising money for that too. Great stuff, for sure. Chuck, thanks so much time for your time tonight. I love those Viking teams that you played on. You know, uh, Fran was one of my favorites. You were one of my favorites. Uh, yep. On Long Island, you know, we didn't have enough guys <laughs> to play. We played this game called offense-defense where, you know, you had an official quarterback, mm-hmm. and we all emulated that spin move. Uh, none of us could perfect it, but uh, we all tried it. So thanks so much. It was hey, a listen, huge thrill for I gotta me. i got to tell you what. I played at University of Miami with two guys from Long Island, a guy by the name of Tracy Stubbs, and what was his name? I think it's DeFazio. 
was it, I forgot his first name, but Dennis DeFazio, yeah. yeah. They were all from New York area. So, yeah, we play, I played with some people from up from New York. Awesome. All right, Chuck, yeah. thanks so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Hey, anytime, my friend. You got it. Chuck Foreman, right. number 44, the spin doctor.